read, starting in verse 37, I'm going to read this again. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through who, him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Whew. You know, that's an exciting passage. And, you know, as I read that, it's like, wow, nothing shall separate us. And I'm reminded about so many things, like uh, Psalm 23 is this whole idea that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He takes us through. And, and throughout Scripture, we see these. Jesus himself talks about sending the comforter that's going to come and be with us because he will not leave us orphans. So this whole idea that Jesus is with us is exciting. And, and it makes me want to want to step step up and dance, not exercise though. <laughs> it makes me feel good, but it also brings some questions, and that's what I want to talk about today. Is some of these questions that I have. The first one is why is Paul persuaded? Why is Paul persuaded? Why is he convinced? And what does it mean more than conquerors? And what does it mean that nothing can separate us? That's what I want to dig into as, as we get into these things. The idea of Paul being persuaded. If you look, I, I like reading all different translations. And as I read through a bunch of translations about this passage, uh, I saw three main phrases here. The one is... I am persuaded. The other one, they're translated, I am convinced. Another one, I am sure. Okay, this whole idea of Paul is saying, I I'm convinced of this. You know, it's like he, someone has argued this point that nothing could separate. He is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt of these things. And as a Christian, I'm like, well, Paul is convinced. I want to be convinced also. So why is Paul convinced of these things? And I think we need to go back and, and look at the theme of this book. As, as I was preparing for this message, I started reading um, Romans in December. Um, because that's another thing about the gospel tab. We know pretty far out when we're going to preach. Every once in a while, someone gets sick, and you might have, have to take over. But it's, it's planned out. So, so I've been in, in Romans since December. So let's look at the theme of this book, and this is from the Bible Project. The Bible Project says the core message of Romans is justification by faith creates a new humanity. We need to leave our Adam-like humanity and enter into Jesus-like humanity. So this idea is that in Romans, we're presented with this idea that, that we need to be changed into the likeness of Christ. If we want to rephrase this as an earlier sermon, we need to leave our zombie-like humanity and let Jesus move into our house. The reason Paul is sure is clear in Romans 
he says this, there, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. This idea that, that we need to be walking in Christ Jesus. Listen, uh, I, I, another translation I like is called the voice. Then the voice is written in the idea like this could be a play. So it's written in, the, it's interesting. If you read the voice, it's nice. But here, this is what the voice says in, in this, this trans, translation about this verse. Therefore, now no condemnation awaits those who are living in Jesus, the anointed, and the liberating king. I like that. There's no condemnation for those living in Jesus, the anointed, the liberating king. The message says this. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a contentious, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny in the hands of sin and death. The message. See, we find that the benefit of Romans 8, all these things are for those that are in Christ. And I think that's important. If you read the book of Romans, it always talks about the idea whether you're in the flesh or following the Spirit. When... Paul is convinced of these things because he's in Christ. And we can be convinced of these things because we're in Christ. We can echo these things. This is such a benefit. In Christ. But what does it mean to be in Christ? You know, I grew up with this idea that being a Christian meant that I went to church every Sunday. And it didn't matter what I did the rest of the week. It didn't even matter what I did later that Sunday. But being a Christian was about going to church. And why was I a Christian growing up? I was a Christian because my parents were a Christian. Why did I go to church? I went to church because my parents went to church. And I, you know, when I'm thinking of that, it reminds me, and I'm getting old, I talked about one dead person, Johnny Cash. I'll talk about another dead person, Keith Green, who was a very popular singer when I first got saved. And Keith Green said, he, 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 well, I better read it because I'll mess it up. It says this. It reminds me of a quote of Keith Green that, that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> so it is not about how, what family we were born into. It's not about whether or not we go to church. The evangelist Steve Hill, unfortunately he's dead too. So <laughs> he was the main voice for the Pensacola revival. And he would often say this. He would often say this, that you could go to hell with baptism waters on your face. Because the reality is not what you do. It's what Christ did on the cross and whether or not you accepted and given your life to that Christ. 
Okay. The first time I ever heard this phrase about giving my life to Christ is when I was a, a, a preteen. That's the first I heard. And I was a very rebellious preteen. I was a very rebellious teen, but this is before I became the rebellious teen. I was a rebellious preteen. <laughs> that was me. That's a whole other testimony. So, but the first time I heard this phrase, there was a, a, a group of traveling, um, a traveling golf, gospel quartet that went all around the Pittsburgh area called the Jacob Brothers. And I thought they were dead too, but <laughs> uh, a few years ago, they were advertised they were in the church across from where I work. So they must be out there still somewhere. So, but the Jacob brothers came to our church and we had a special service and the church was packed. They were a gospel quartet. We we're all there. My, my family was there. We had the whole family pew, you know. And it was no cushy pews in my church. So we had to hold, and, and so the, they are up there singing, and, and halfway through, uh, one of the, the, the singers stops, and, and he says, he, he says, you know, we can't just play at being Christians. We have to really be Christians. And he says, if you're here today and you have never given your whole life to Jesus, I challenge you to do it today. In fact, you can come down and kneel at this altar and do it. It shocked our church. We never even heard of anything like kneel at the altar, give my life to Christ. What We, we go to church every Sunday. We're Christians. So no one came forward. So they start singing again. He stops again and says, I really feel that there's someone here that needs to give their whole life to Christ. And Jesus wants to wash away your sins. Come and kneel. No, no one moves. So it goes on through the night. Every other song or so, he'd say the same thing. And about the sixth time he said it, uh, a young adult walks from the back of the church and kneels down at the altar. And all of a sudden, it was like the floodgates opened. All, you know, the church, they just packed the altar of this church. They were giving their hearts to Christ. Not me, I was the rebellious preteen. <laughs> I wish I would, but I, anyway, my story is a little different. So, so they all come to the altar. My parents were up there, and, and they gave. And this is a time my dad marks as a spiritual transition in his life. When this random group came and says, "Give your whole life to Christ," in Christ. It wasn't about going to church any longer. See, I went to church and I didn't hear this story, this idea that we need to give our life to Christ. You might be in church today and you never heard it. And, and, and that's, that happens. We just go and, and, and we just do what we think we should do. But my dad marked this event as a change point in his life. 
What's Romans 8, 5, and 6 says? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the reason Paul was persuaded is because he gave his life to Christ. He's in Christ. And in, the, in my life, I did, in a later story, a later point, give my whole life to Christ. Not just my Sundays. Not just my Sundays. Today, are you living in Christ? Are you in Christ? How do we start that journey? And Romans, again, Romans is a powerful book. It tells us how to do this. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, Because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confess and is saved. I don't know if I want to say that. Oh, maybe I will. You know, in today's church, in today's church environment, there's a danger. It almost is in the the church world today that we're presented with this idea that God wants to take away our shame and doesn't care about our sin. Our shame is the result of our sins. So if we deal with the idea that I'm coming to church so I don't have to have shame anymore, and we go back and live a carnal life, it's not going to work. We might feel good for a moment, but we need to allow him to take away our sin and our shame will be washed away. Our shame will be washed away. In our uh, men's Bible study this morning, one of the things they talked about, the difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay? Conviction is a good thing. Guilt is a good emotion. See, it's good to be guilty and to feel guilty when you're guilty. Conviction, God puts on us so we can be transformed into his image. Condemnation is different. Condemnation is something the devil puts on us to keep us down and to live in shame. But we need in the church today to recognize that God is much more than dealing with our shame. God wants our shame to be gone and it starts with our sin. God wants our sin to be gone. When I lived in Maryland, I sat at a Roy Rogers. We miss Roy Rogers because they had great chicken and the Roundup burgers were awesome. So we sat, I sat at a Roy Rogers with a gentleman who just left his wife and two young children. 
and 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 we were close to the family and and you know and i i was there trying to say hey what's happening this is and he's like you know what i don't want to hear anything from you he said i'm going to ther therapy now and the therapist is helping me deal with the fact that i abandoned my family he wanted just to feel good about his decisions God's not about us feeling good about our decisions. God just doesn't want to take away our shame. He wants to make us into a new image. Anyway, song we sing, Hell has lost another one, I am free, I am free. Hell has lost another one, I am free, I am free. What are we free from? Not just our shame. We are free from sin in the carnal world. All right, I wasn't sure I was going to say that, but I did. Okay, we need... So the first question was, why was he persuaded? Why was he convinced? It's because he's in Christ. He's in Christ. Why can I be persuaded and convinced of these things if I'm in Christ and walking in Christ? The second question, what does it mean more than conquerors? My brother who is not dead, he's alive too, which is good. <laughs> My brother at, at, in high school bought a motorcycle. But this motorcycle had a picture of a barbarian painted on it, standing on in a, a pile of skulls with a sword up in there, the conquerors. So what does that mean? See, we have this idea if that we're going to be conquerors, that we're going to have some victory in this empire world. You know, that we're going to have victory in this world, that we're going to win the Super Bowl, we're going to do whatever. But what the, Paul is talking about is that we're going to be conquerors because of what's happening spiritually in our life. We might never be king of the mountain. We may never win the Super Bowl, but that doesn't mean that the Lord isn't doing something. As we, I think, Brianne talked about this a little bit, but Romans 8.28 says this, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purposes, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among the brethren. This is where we conquer. In Christ, we become like Jesus. Why is everything working together for good? So we can have a, a sweet life? No. It works together for good when we become like Jesus. When we become in his image. <sighs> you know, I look in my life, and I've had a lot of setbacks. There's been a lot of different things happen. But the more I become like Jesus, that's where the victory is. In fact, God will allow suffering so we can conquer this world by becoming like Jesus. And you know what? We may have all the suffering, but if we're like Jesus, we're going to be with him in that day. And not just for a moment, but for eternity. Eternity. 
Keith Green wrote a song, you know, if, he, if, if God took seven days to build this earth, he's been working on heaven for like 20, 25, I get that thing, 2,000 years yet. 2,500 years, whatever. He's been working on heaven a long time. And we're going to spend a long time there. But that's where the victory, that's where the conqueror is. It's not whether we're the king of the hill. In Hebrews 11, I, I challenge you, often we read just the beginning of some of the good things in Hebrews 11. But in the Hebrews 11, it talks about people that died, people that were, were cut in parts and burned and everything, but they're heroes of the faith. They're more than conquerors, not because of what happened on this earth, but because they live by faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. Wow. So that's where the victory is. What did Jesus said? I'm, I'm not, my kingdom's not of this earth. So if we're expecting that idea that more than conquerors has something to do with the empire, we're wrong. More than conquerors has to do with his kingdom. And his kingdom is not of this world. Then the last one is, what does it mean that nothing can separate us? There's Old and New Testament portions that have similar themes to Romans 8, such as Psalm 23. I think I mentioned that. But this whole idea that the Lord is with us, he's, he's, yeah. What, this is the victory it's not that we are free from trouble, but that in the middle of trouble, he is with us. When you read the, 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 the Romans passage, it's neither height nor... All these things, up and down. It doesn't matter what goes on around us. We are still connected to his love. So the victory is not that we don't go through things, but in the middle of the trouble, he is with us. Romans 8 is telling us that we are not going to have any problems, but it is, I, I read that right. Romans 8 is not telling us that we're not going to have any problems, but that if we are in Christ, that no matter what we're going through, Christ is with us. Let me read that again. But that if we are in Christ, no matter what we're going through, Christ is with us. In my life, I've had health struggles, financial struggles, job struggles, relationship issues, family issues. But in all of those things, I have no doubt that God's love was with me. Earlier in the sermon, I talked about my dad coming and responding to the Jacob brothers and giving his whole life to Christ. And he marked it. And really, my dad, after that, he started becoming transformed. 
to something different. My dad, who would not wear a shirt without a pocket because he had to have his, his uh, not cigarettes, he smoked Eric menthol cigars. So he, he, if mom bought him a shirt without a pocket, he'd say, I'm not wearing that shirt. It doesn't have a pocket for my cigars. So he quit smoking. He didn't tell my mom he just quit smoking. Took her two weeks to figure out he quit smoking. Jack, why are all these candy jars around the house? <laughs> well, so, but he, he started growing in God, and, and it just became just a different person. Different person. Well, my dad, who I, I always, you know, you, you look in family issues and, and, um, between my mom and dad and Christine's mom and dad, I thought my dad would outlive them all. I hate to say this, but you know, when your family gets older, I said, well, he's, he's just much better health than the rest of them. But then he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And uh, they were going to have surgery. And uh, they were going to do what people do for weight, weight loss. They were going to take his whole stomach out. And so we went out to the steakhouse the night before and had a nice steak and took him to the hospital. And the day of his surgery, they opened him up and the cancer had exploded all through his body. And they couldn't do anything except sew him back up. And it started a journey where my dad was battling with cancer, with chemo, but they're like, we can do chemo, we don't think it's gonna help. But during that time, my dad, who was very, you know, he was always doing stuff, started to have to be at home. And I found out, you know, he, he had a prayer list. He started praying for everybody. He started praying, praying. And as he was going through the cancer, God was so with him that he started getting sweeter than he ever was. My dad, early on, he was the grouch of the family. He, he was grumpy. He'd yell at everybody. All the neighborhood kids were scared of my dad. But he started becoming sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Why? It's because he was in Christ and nothing was going to separate him from the love of Christ. And, you know, we were remarking like, wow. You know, and we're praying for healing. We're believing for healing. And he's getting worse and worse. And then he was on, on the morphine and, and he was drugged. We visit him and they... They moved to, into the, to the, their family room. They moved to hospital bed, and he just stayed there. And he was just getting worse and worse. And then you'd visit him, and he was like a zombie because the drugs were so bad. So there was a Saturday that, that we went, and we were there, and my kids were there. Christine was there. 
Uh, everybody in my family except one of my sisters were there. And on a Saturday morning, we were sitting in the family room with my dad, and he just like woke up. He started blessing all the kids. And my daughter, my, my oldest daughter, who plays guitar, was singing some songs. And we were just having this wonderful church service. In the midst of death, God's love showed up there. A few days later, he passed away. But in that, I have no doubt that God's love was with us. And death did not separate. In fact, the hardships that we went through, the hardships that we go through, only draw us closer to the Lord. If we're in Christ. And I talked to my mom afterwards, and I'm like, that was so sweet. The whole family knew that was just a special gift from God that day. And I'm like, I don't know how people can do it without being in Christ. I don't know how. We prayed for healing, but God showed up in death. Now my mom is going through cancer right now. They put her in hospice about a month and a half ago. We're just praying. But you know what? She is still full of the joy of the Lord. Why? Because when that Jacob brother did not give up, that Ed did six times, give your life to Christ. They did it. And they were in Christ ever since. And I, I think I would have gave up if I was him. But he kept asking, and finally, there was a breakthrough in Christ. Um, put the, the chapel up there. There we go. I want to end with this story. Um, I got saved before we had the internet. <laughs> before Amazon, before all this. So I would often get my Christian books because I was too cheap to buy them at the Christian bookstore at yard sales. I came across this one. Um, it's called Dawnings, but it's just a lot of poems and short stories. And one of them is from Corey Ten Boone. Now, Corey Ten Boone uh, wrote it was the author of a book called The Hiding Place. And the story of her and her family is that they were in Germany during Hitler's rule. And they built a special room in their house. And they became part of an underground railroad that would smuggle Jews out of, out of Germany. 
And the story goes that she was arrested. Her whole family was arrested for this activity. And they were sent to the same concentration camps that they were trying to keep the Jews out of by, by this, this, this railroad. And she tells this story in this book here. And I'm going to just um, give a synopsis of the first part then to read just the end of it. She talks about as a kid, her... And you know what? I don't need this after all, even though I said I would. But she talked about as a kid um, going to her uncle's house. Her uncle's was caretaker of of a a a cathedral. And there's a name I can't even pronounce it. But Grotkurt in Harlem was the cathedral, and she would play there as kids. They would play hide and seek. It was always such a special place. And, and, and so she tells the story as growing up as a kid and playing in this place. Now, mind you, her story is about the concentration camp. And she went into concentration camp. She was with her sister. And her sister died in this concentration camp. But this is where the story picks up as a child playing in the cathedral. So it, it, they were playing in the, 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 by the pillars, and it started getting dark. And this is where the story picks up. Let's go home, whispered Dot. I'm scared. I was not. Slowly I went to the usher's door that opened out to where Uncle Arnold lived. There was a presence that comforted me, a deep peace of my heart. Even in the darkness smelling the dust and dampness of the church building. I knew that the light of the world was present. Was the Lord preparing for some time in the future when I would need to know that his light is victorious over darkness? 45 years later, Betsy and I, see if I get through this. Betsy and I walked to the square where roll call was being held in the concentration camp. It was still early before dawn. The head of our barracks was so cruel that she had sent us out into the very cold outdoors a full hour early. Betsy's hand was with mine. We went to the square by a different way from the rest as we walked with the Lord and talked with him. Betsy spoke, then I talked, then the Lord spoke. How? I do not know. But both of us understood. It was the same presence that I had felt. <laughs> Years before in that old cathedral, the brilliant early morning stars were out. The only light... The cold winter air was so clear, we could faintly see the outlines of the barracks, the crematorium, the gas chambers, the towers where the guards were standing with loaded machine guns. Isn't it, isn't this a bit of heaven, Betsy said, and the Lord, this was a small foretaste. One day, 
we will see you face to face. But thank you even now that you are giving us the joy. walking and talking with you no matter where you're at no matter what you're going through he is with you and death principalities whatever none of it can separate you from his love and I challenge you today be in Christ Christ